All right. Hey, just a, a couple quick notes uh, for many of you. Uh, the first one is that we have our fall launch coming up on September 9th. That's the Sunday after Labor Day. It's going to be a carnival kind of atmosphere around here, food truck rally, inflatables. So exciting. One of the ways that we're, uh, we're pumping this up a little is by mailing these out to a few thousand of our closest friends and neighbors around church. And uh, as people are getting this, it would be super awesome if you guys kind of get helped along with that and connected, followed up with some of uh, your neighbors and your friends. On the back, it's a list of the food trucks that are going to be here, and also a voucher to receive a free meal, free lunch, for coming to our launch Sunday that day. We have extras of these at the starting point desk in the upper lobby after church. Just a note, though, these are not for you or for me, right? If you already know Jesus and you love Encounter Church, awesome, so glad. Take a few of these to hand out to some of your friends and neighbors, somebody who doesn't yet already, who isn't yet on that journey. That's what it is for. We're trying to live out that value of ours of bringing people far from God to new life in Christ. And the other one is the serve one, attend one sheets that you got. We're so excited to, uh, to pump up for the beginning of a new year around here. And uh, serving on Sunday is a great way, a great way to meet some other people, to work shoulder by sh- shoulder to shoulder, and, uh, and find your people around here. Okay, we're in a series right now called Summer Playlist. And, uh, and we're wrapping it up today. So if, uh, if you're new here, uh, the series is about how the people, God's people had this road trip, had this journey that they were on every year, maybe three times a year, they would head to Jerusalem for this sort of uh, spiritual pilgrimage. And they would play music. In in other words, they would sing music, really, because they didn't have a Spotify or a Walkman or anything back then. Um, They'd play, they'd sing music along the journey. And the playlist that they used to head up to Jerusalem is the Psalms, in other words, the songs of ascent, ascending, going up. You always went up to Jerusalem. You never go over to Jerusalem. In fact, uh, Jesus, uh, when he was a little kid and his family took him to Jerusalem, it was a journey from Galilee, maybe 70 miles south. This is is like um, if he lived in Big Rapids and he's heading down to Grand Rapids on this this journey. No, no, no. When Luke tells the story in Luke chapter 2, the family didn't travel down to Jerusalem. He went up to Jerusalem because of the elevation change along the way, maybe 3,000, maybe up to 10,000, depending on where they're coming from, feet, elevation change. They would notice it hiking on foot. Uh, For the purpose this morning, though, I think it's going to be important for us to kind of take a look at this uh, this song that we're going to get into in a minute and realize that they sang it not just like on the way to a city. They weren't just visiting this capital city of Jerusalem. This is more of a spiritual pilgrimage. So like push out of your mind an idea that you had of like ah, taking the kids to Lansing or a, you know, a family road trip to Washington, D.C., where we're going to maybe check out the Washington Monument and mom's going to make us go to a museum and dad's trying to get a kindergartner to pay attention to U.S. history. No, no, none of that, right? That's not the point of this trip. The point of this trip is they're going there to visit the temple. They're going there to, to meet God The temple is like the the connecting place between heaven and earth. It's the place where God dwelt. And so I think it might be worth asking, if you were on your way to go meet God, like what would you do differently? 
How would you prepare for a meeting like that? I mean, just uh, superficially, like, what do you wear to meet God, right? Like, do you shave your beard? Do you grow a beard? He might be into beards. He made beards, right? Uh, What do you wear to a meeting like that? Is he still into the fig leaf thing? Like, I don't know, right? What about on a heart level? Like, how do you prepare for this meeting with God? You know, going into that meeting, presumably, he can see the, the resentment that you are harboring towards your former employer, Presumably, going into that meeting with God, he is going to know about the envy, about the jealousy between you and your sister-in-law. He's going to see it. Like, you go in there, and he's going to know that that morning before you met him, you yelled at the kids three times to put your shoes on. How many times do I have to tell you? Like, what do you do to meet God? That's what the psalmist is going to ask this morning. How do you prepare for a meeting that way? Um, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 130. There's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. By the way, that's if you don't have a Bible at home or if you like ours better, take it. That's cool. Our gift to you. The words are going to be also be on the screen uh, behind me. We're going to do the whole Psalm today, which is, it's actually only, uh, only eight verses. So he, listen to the first few of them. Psalm 130 starts off this way. And there's two images that you're looking for. One, uh, first verse, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Two images. Uh, Two images that the psalmist, the songwriter, kind of pulls out. I think he pulls out these two images because I think he's speaking to two different kinds of people. Uh, Two different kinds of people on the journey to go meet God back then. Two different kinds of people in the room on the journey to meet God today. The the first image that he's pulling out is out of the depths I cry to you. It's It's a water image. It's a sea image. It's a drowning image. The first image is for the first kind of person, the kind of person who is just messed up so badly and it is in so deeply over his or her head just a gasping for air can't even can't even see the way out of the depths i call out for you i cry to you we're gonna by the way we're gonna find out later on in the psalm that this was not uh this was not an error this was not a mistake or this is not something that happened to him this is something that happened by him. This is, uh, this is an error. This is a drowning by his own hand, by his own mistake. He messed up and he gets it. The second image of a, a record is somebody who comes into the room listening and thinks, there's very little that I am sorry for. There's very few things that I have messed up in my life. I have trouble naming them. The first image about out of the depths that I cry to you, I, I, I mentioned already that it's this drowning image, that the waves are crashing in and they're going, he's going under, underwater, he's, he's paddling, he's pushing, his arms, legs, his muscles feel like they're about to pop, he's just trying to get his head above water for just another split second to cry out, God, please help me. If you're in that boat, if you have been in that boat, if you're came this morning? Listen, I want you to know hope is on the way. 
Out of the depths, I call out the person who's just way under his head. The other image is for somebody who can't really name much of what he's done wrong. Lord, if you, kept, if you kept a record of my sins, a record. Uh, this is, it's kind of an, an interesting image. Um, sometimes when we read the Bible, we start to kind of fall into this air of thinking that just because we have like modern technology and maybe know a little bit more about how the world, the universe works, uh, we start to think to ourselves that we're smarter than the people were back then. So like because we have like video games and Instagram, like we're, we're smarter. I don't think it actually, I think it might actually be the opposite of that. So I want to kind of come back to Bible land for just a minute and talk about like, just because they didn't have you know, Quicken or QuickBooks, Excel, like these, these accounting systems that we have today, um, they knew how to keep a ledger. They knew how to keep a record. In fact, they brought a picture of this ancient record-keeping system, this ledger um, that is uh, still used at some places in the world today. John, could we get the... That's a checkbook. It's a joke for some of you who are like, I don't get why people are, why people are laughing. It's just a ledger, checking book system. It worked the same way back then, right? If you're keeping track of wheat or barley or the debt, people, like, like whatever it is. You just, on the left side, you got the date and maybe the check number. You got the transaction, what it is, the amount. And then you just kind of on the far right, keep a tally. Uh, keep a tally of how much money you have or maybe put how much money you don't have on the far right side, and you just, you just kind of keep track of it. The psalmist sort of pulls out that image of, of keeping a record, keeping a ledger. And he goes, you know, it's funny, God, if, if you kept a ledger, if you just followed me around for a day, keeping track of uh, every time I stepped in it, every time I messed up, every, every time I sinned, Oh, what would that be like? I just want to play with that image just, uh, just a, a bit more. You know, just yellow legal pad, somebody kind of following you around throughout the day. Five o'clock in the morning, alarm goes off, way too early, that was maybe a mistake. Muttered something unholy under his breath. <laughs> Later on, 7.14 a.m., lost temper on the kids about putting those shoes on fast enough, like I mentioned before. 9.45, late to the meeting, blamed the kids for making you late to the meeting. 10.14, lied, said fine when asked how you are. 12.18 p.m., ate lunch without gratitude. 3.10, got laughs at others' expense. 6.15, embraced slothfulness in favorite chair, phone in hand. <laughs> 8 o'clock, kids' bedtime, resisted urge to apologize for losing temper this morning. I just like, want to ask that question. If somebody was following, if God had somebody follow you and just keep that record, keep the ledger of every mistake, every sin throughout the day, how many, how many yellow legal pads could you fill up? And that, that doesn't even count the heart ones, right? Uh, a stare, a look, a glance that lingers a little too long. Is spending your 20s and 30s pursuing career or family over God, breaking the first commandment, no other gods before me, perpetually. Who could stand? Who could stand? You know, the psalmist, he switches the image on us. 
It, the, the record, the ledger, it just doesn't go down on a piece of paper written down somewhere. No, the way that the psalmist writes about those sins is that who could stand? It, it's almost like they have a little weight to them, right? Not much, but every time something happens, every time an entry goes in the yellow pad, it, it's, it's sort of like another little stone goes, back, goes down into the bag, and then he's just like following throughout the day. And as the songwriter is starting to add up the, the, the sheer like number and the quantities, not just of the legal pads that are filled with this sin, but he's like, no, no, who could stand? Because it's constant day after day adding up. And as it continues to add up, it's like, listen, it's just, it, it, it has a physical weight to it. And it's like being pressed on me. And he's going, God, the weight of it all, like who could stand? Remember how he's, when he's writing it, what he is writing it for. He's on a journey to go meet God. He's on, a, he's on an uphill hike, maybe a 3,000 foot elevation change. And he's weighed down by all this. And he's going, God, who could stand, let alone walk, let alone hike uphill to go meet God with this on my back? Why? Why would you write a song on your way to go meet God? Why would you write a song about sin when there are so many other more preferable attributes to sing about God? You sing about God's love. You sing about God's forgiveness. You sing about God's faithfulness. You sing about God's grace, mercy, compassion. There's all kinds of, there's a huge list to choose from. Going to meet God, why would you sing about sin, particularly like, like this in-depth, uh, singular, personal kind of sin? There's something refreshingly honest about a conversation like this. And this is maybe one of the gospel's greatest gifts to the world that, that I think the world, that, that I think most of us, we just, we miss, we don't get most of the time. I understand it's uncomfortable to talk about sin. When we talk about doing life together, one of our values, hopefully when you think about doing life, like there's something in you, something that you own as a part of that, some kind of stone, some kind of wrongdoing that you have a hard time standing up. It's a 2,500 pound boulder to the gust and you're gasping for air out of the depths or, or, or maybe it's 2,500 small stones weighing you down. Hopefully, Hopefully you, you, you share that burden with others. It's uncomfortable, I get, I understand that, to talk about it. But, but I want us to hear kind of from the world's perspective, from the culture's perspective that says, no, 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 let's not talk about wrongdoing. Let's not talk about any of that stuff because we just want you to live your truth or we just want you to, you do you. And as long as you do you and you live your truth, like we'll be fine. And it's like, no, we're not fine because we keep running into each other. We keep hurting each other. We're not fine because it just does not take very long to look around the world and say, this thing is pretty messed up right now. And whereas the world, the culture has no answer for, for like why it is that way, Christians at least with the gospel, armed with the gospel, we can say, no, no, I understand why it's wrong. It begins with sin in the world. 
And, and I'm not just calling it out in somebody else, but, but like this sin is something that I own as well. I could start with me. This is how I'm contributing to this thing. This is how I'm putting things on the load that I myself am carrying. First thing is just, it's refreshingly honest to think about. And the second one, the second reason that, that the songwriter sings, I think, about sin is that there's something about the forgiveness of God that you don't really get what the forgiveness of God is until you really understand what sin is. Like, once you understand, once you experience the consequences of sin, something that, got, something that broke in your life or somebody else's and you're like the collateral damage. Once you experienced the, the, the damage and the hurt of sin, once you realize that, that, sin, that sin decimates, exterminates everything good that God is growing inside of you, like, I don't, apart from that, I don't think we really totally get what this forgiveness, what this liberation, what this freedom thing is all about. There's a, it's a song that, uh, that, that I sang as a kid. It's an old hymn. Um, even if you're not like a church person, you probably know the words. It goes, amazing grace, how the sound. Yeah, you know it too. And there's like something about like, how beautiful that first line is, but, but I think you don't really totally get how beautiful and how sweet that first line is until you hear the second that saved a wretch like me. And I'm like trying to teach my kids this song, and it yeah, recycles in popular Christian music, so just stick around, you know, we'll do another rendition of it after a little while. And I'm like teaching my kids, right? You gotta understand, you know, that it's a great first line, it's made greater by the second line. And they're like, why am I a wrench, dad? And I'm like, no, it's not a wrench. <laughs> Although there's something about being a tool, you know, of God or something. I don't know. Uh, insert dad joke. But we're a wretch. And it's harsh and it's abrasive. And it's refreshingly honest. And it makes that first line that much sweeter. I, if you take nothing out of our time together and if you head into your week with just one line, I hope it's this, that grace is only great if sin is serious. Like the more we minimize this kind of stuff and the more we kind of gloss over it, the more we miss forgiveness, the more we miss grace. Grace is only great if sin is serious. It provides a path forward, a gospel which is where the songwriter goes next. It's hope, but not yet. Listen to the next stanza. He goes, I will wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And I'll put my, in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord twice now, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Uh, funny thing about uh, the culture back then, you would work outside the city, uh, you know, sheep, a farm, all of it outside of the city gates, the city walls. You'd sleep within the city, typically. So you'd work outside, you'd come in at night, the walls, the gates would be shut. Presumably it was some guy's job to walk around on the, on the city walls and just make sure everything is okay. I, I would argue that has to be one of the most boring jobs ever. 
I don't know if they had coffee back then, but it's like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., just waiting for the morning, waiting for the shift to be done. One of the worst jobs ever. I think I may have had the second one. (laughs) In college, I got a job. I was an optical lens technician. I made glasses in a a, a lens lab that was brand new. It was just made. Uh, And since it was brand new, since it was just made, like no orders came in. I mean, no orders came in. Like the entire shift long, I just like stood there and, and just like waited for the shift to be done. Like watchmen wait for the morning. It was just, Dirk, there must have been something to do there. I mean, you could have like dusted, you could have rearranged or picked up things. It was a brand new lab. There was no dust. I'm just standing there trying to keep my eyes open in case my boss came in and let me go from the easiest job I've ever had. I remember there was this digital clock on the computer. The computer couldn't do anything except for the system, but it had a clock on it, which is my entertainment. And I would just watch the number tick, 58. And I'd go like, 49, 47, 46, and just count down until the next number ticked by. And it was just like how, how time just like slows down. Time just like freezes. And you're like, please let this be over. Uh, some people talk about traumatic experiences, um, whether it's a car accident, some other kind of tragedy and illness. And it's just like during that time, sometimes people report that it's like time stops. And just like I watched it all unfold in like one tenth time, just like slows way down to a creeping halt. I think this guy writing this is in the thick of it right now. Whether it's, whether it's like getting hit, like I said, 2,500 pounds to the gut and like gasping for air trying to call out to God, or, or he's like got this 2,500 stones on his back and he's like, I can't even stand up underneath it. And it's like time slows way down as he's waiting for the morning, like watchmen wait for the morning. Paused, waiting watching. And then the song takes a turn. See if you can can spot what I'm talking about. In verse 7, it says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins, now, it turns and goes positive, like a lot of psalms do. Uh, so negative, you know, out of the depths I cry out, and, and he ends with, uh, put your hope in the Lord, put your hope in his unfailing love, right? So redemption from all their sins. But that's not what I'm talking about. The turn that I'm talking about is he starts to get preachy. Like, he starts to give advice. Hey, hey, uh, do this now. While you're waiting, while you're in that moment, Put your hope now in him. Now, I don't, I don't want to hear that. If I'm in the depths like calling out, if I'm being crushed underneath the weight of it all, the last thing that I want to hear is for somebody to say, hey, this is what you ought to do. You ought to put your hope in the Lord. It sort of smacks to me like the baseball fans on the sidelines giving the helpful advice like, hit the ball, throw a pitch. And you're like, thank you. We do have a manager spot open if you're interested. You know, if, if, you're, if the guy is drowning, right? And there's some, some dude on shore who's like, swim harder. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. But did you notice something in the, in the psalm here is that as he is talking, 
How about putting his hope? And as he's giving that, that advice and wisdom of saying, hey, now, in this season, put your hope in the Lord. He never said anything about getting out of it. He's still drowning. He's still underneath the weight of it all. I don't know about you guys, but when he starts talking about putting your hope in the Lord, a redemption will come. By the very fact that he's still underneath it all, like, I believe him. I believe that hope, that redemption is coming. I shared that amazing grace story earlier. The other amazing part about that song is that the guy who wrote it, John Newton, lived in the 1700s. He was a ship captain piloting cargo of people, slaves, the triangle trade. England, where it was home for him, West Africa, and the colonies, the U.S., and then back to England again. And he was just off the coast of Ireland when a storm came and then ripped his ship open and seawater was pouring in. Out of desperation, why would God listen to somebody who participated in one of the worst atrocities in human history? But out of the depths, he cries out, God, save me, help me. And a wave came and wind came and, and, and moved the ship and the cargo slid to the other side and, and miraculously plugged the hole. So, so seawater stopped pouring in. It was just enough to, to help him to drift the thing in to shore and save his life. He became a Christian after that. But it wasn't until almost four decades later that he grappled with the implications of this thing that he was a part of and the atrocities that he committed. And he sits down after that time and he pens those words, amazing grace. How sweet this sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace is so great because sin is so, so serious. Back to the guy in the story and the song on his way to Jerusalem to go meet God like so many of us. He's underneath the weight of it all and he can't even walk, let alone hike uphill. He can't stand up underneath the weight of it all. He's trying to, to carry it all uphill to Jerusalem to meet God. And the irony is the thing that he was waiting for was for God to come down from the mountain, down from Jerusalem to come meet him. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to take the weight. That Jesus knows what it is to literally and spiritually carry the weight of sin because Jesus himself bore that cross, headed up into Jerusalem, up that mountain on Calvary, and died under the weight of it. And God raised him from the dead and said, out of the depths, I'll raise you too. Wait for it. Hope is coming. Could you stand with me? We learned a new song last week uh, called Living Hope. And I just want to introduce you to a, those first couple lyrics where it starts off, how great the chasm between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. There's a chasm between us and God called sin. There's a mountain that we just cannot climb. And Jesus reaches down and says, I'll climb it for you. 
I got this for you. Hallelujah. Praise the one who sets us free. Hallelujah. Praise the one who sets us free. Jesus Christ, friends, he bridged the chasm. He climbed the mountain. He is our living hope.